Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Catherine, I would like to welcome you to the Pop-Off with Martise. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk with me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And you know what's crazy is that I followed you on Facebook for years. Oh, I didn't know that. And Thank I, you. And I would go, you know what? One of these days I'm going to reach out and ask her to come on the show. Oh, I'm so glad you did. And then finally I was like, you know what? The worst she could say is no. And then I'm in the same position. So let me just go ahead and do it. I almost always say yes. I'm almost, I, I love to get out there. I love to connect with people. And uh, the more people I connect with like you, that means the more connections I make with your audience and, and so forth and so on. And whenever I have just a little bit of valuable information that might help somebody, it just makes it so worthwhile. So I'm so glad you reached out finally. Me too. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so I know about you. So do you want to tell my listeners, you know, a little bit about you, your background? Oh, sure. I. Northeast Ohio native, <laughs> went to uh, Kent State University, been in TV news for, uh, I hate to say this, but more than 30 years <laughs> at this point. Uh, started in little Erie, Pennsylvania uh, as a reporter and uh, did a little bit of weekend weather, did everything pretty much short of mopping the floors mm-hmm. there uh, for my first uh, three years in the business, I believe it was. And then I went into uh, a place called Elmira, New York, which is out there by Cornell University and kind of in that area in the in the beautiful Finger Lakes area. Um, I went there as a main anchor to WETM. I can't believe I can remember the call letters. It was so long ago and it was such a, a short stint. But I went there as a main anchor. So I went from Erie, Pennsylvania to even a smaller market to get into a bigger job, which is often how it works in, in TV business. And then went on to Rochester, New York, where I was a reporter slash producer and then uh, Youngstown, Ohio, where I started as a lead reporter in the evenings for the night news and worked my way up to anchor there. And then went on to Cleveland, Ohio, which was my goal, uh, finally, uh, where I still actually work uh, anchoring uh, on a freelance basis. So on and off, but I worked there for full full time for about 
13 years, uh, going from reporting up to yeah, to anchoring morning and news, noon news. So, yeah, I, I've done the rounds pretty much. I'm so grateful that I never had to pretty much leave too far from, from northeast Ohio. Right. So it was always within driving distance, which is great. And in a region that I'm familiar with, especially as far as the weather goes and so forth. But, yeah, so that's pretty much my story. And then there's another sub story in there. Uh, when uh, when I was out of the business for a while and I became pretty much infamous uh, online with a with a story that uh, pretty much is what my mission today is based on. And it comes down to making sure that we know that today there's so little room for a what was I thinking moment online or off right. before it could become attached to you forever and for all to see. So my story, it's just going to summarize it. It's a 300 page book, which I hope to get out soon. Uh, but it, basically, I suffered my second life threatening illness in uh, 93 or 2003, excuse me. And uh, it was a lung illness. And we really thought I was going to die. And uh, this experimental drug therapy saved my life. And I remember my husband and I, we went to celebrate in Key West, Florida. And I'm thinking we, it's during spring break and I'm looking around and seeing all these college kids having so much fun. I was in my 30s by then. And uh, this great music coming from all the establishments there and this beautiful wind going over the the beautiful island. And, oh, and I'm thinking, you know what? Life is great. And I've got the second chance at it. Mm-hmm. And I turned to my husband, I said, I'm going to live it to the fullest. I'm going to go do things I would have never done before. And I was pretty much a goody two-shoes up until that point. Well, that night we walk into a bar and uh, things got out of hand. <laughs> and I got caught up in, in the moment. And there was a wet t-shirt contest. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go do things I would never done, never done before. And um, that and heavy medication still fighting this, this lung disease that I'm recovering from. And it just, I got caught up I'm just, and, and that pretty much sealed my fate for the time. At least uh, little did I know there was a company similar to girls gone wild there that night. And they documented the whole thing on video and uh, pictures. And it went what today we call viral. Right. Um, so, I lost my job, my career that I worked so hard on. I've lost friends. I lost uh, so much and almost cost me my own, my life at my own hands because it went uh, global. I was news outlets from all over the world were knocking on my door with that question. What were you thinking? And I don't know what I was thinking. And it was just a terrible, terrible mistake. And years ago, if that mistake was made, then, you know, you just kind of deal with it. And that's kind of how we felt the night after or that that night actually following the event, walking home in tears and I could let myself get so caught up with, okay, you know what? Bad decision We'll leave it in Key West, learn from it, and never do anything like that again, never thinking that there were cameras there that were going to, you know, turn my life upside down. Mm-hmm. So, of course, years ago, you could have, you know, you, you make mistakes. People do things and they regret. And but today, what happens in the moment is no longer guaranteed to stay in the moment as I was um, an example of. So fought my way back. Three federal lawsuits later, I got control of my life back. Again, I got copyright ownership to all those images from Key West, giving me the legal means to stop the dissemination and get as much of it off the internet as I could. And we all know, though, that once it's out there, it's out there. What I always say, forever and for all to see, and uh, had to come to terms with that. My lawyers 
that means for them they can't quite get to some of those obscure websites on the deep dark side of the internet or overseas had to live with that but as i was fighting my way back uh tv station in cleveland that's they recognized what they called my resolve and they gave me a chance to reclaim my career and so i went on uh but as i was going on i i remember promising god that if i could survive what happened as i was suicidal if i could survive what happened that somehow i would make it count for the good and i was on my way surviving it but i never forgot that promise that i will somehow make it count for something good in this world and so as i was nearing my my contract my last full-time contract the end of it it was just aching because i'm on the set reading stories about young people who are taking their own lives because of online cruelty and humiliation right. and they could so relate to it and i thought now is the time i need to get my story out there because maybe if i would have talked to some of these young people and let them know that there is life after and it is survivable maybe i could have made a difference for them so i decided this is what i'm going to do i'm going to start my own business uh, i did a tedx talk and i'm going to speak everywhere from high schools to corporate organizations are having me in to speak tell my story and other stories similar to it because there's more stories every day of people's lives being turned upside down because uh we're being exposed in ways we never imagined so how do we deal with that uh, i provide actionable steps on how to survive it actionable steps on how to prevent it actionable steps on how to be more mindful to uh, make sure this doesn't happen to you your business your loved ones so that's kind of in a nutshell who I am and what I've been doing for the last, uh, for pretty much all my adult life from TV news going into the speaking and, and TV news is included still. So there we are. And is, <laughs> is that what your book is about? That's what the book that I have out right now that you can find on my website, katherinebosley.com. It is about, yes, it pretty much takes my whole, my speaking event and a, a little bit of my story and puts it out there as basically a how-to book. So how to avoid social media scandal and how to rise above how to survive it if it happens to you and so that's that book the other book is my memoir which is in the works which i'm hoping to get a traditional deal for but this one is self-published and I, I i think that it's it's got a lot of value for anyone who spends any time online and i feel like your story is so relatable and one i didn't realize that you were in your 30s Yes. Then, oh, because, yes. I mean, you They're making it even more shocking. <laughs> I wasn't a kid, but but, but you looked honest... amazing, and I know that that's not what it's about. Oh. But <laughs> you know, it, it's you did, <laughs> well, and you, you still do. My my husband says, you know, someday you're going to look back and say, look at that body I had. <laughs> but I, I can never look back at any of those pictures or video without just absolutely still cringing. But knowing that. Yeah, despite the cringe, this counts for something and I need to make it work. Absolutely. Make it count. And yeah. also knowing that you were in your 30s then, you had a, you probably had a lot more wisdom than somebody, say, that's 17 or 16 that could possibly be going through this. <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's kind of – it's uh, – it's hard to explain as far as that goes because I didn't feel wise when I look back. There was no wisdom there at all. I think I was maybe more wise when I was younger because I would have never done anything like that. Again, I was a goody two shoes. In fact, I would have looked down my nose at a, a t-shirt contest of all things and snubbed 
and I guess now as you get older, your your take on things uh, changes. Yeah. And, you know, so maybe I've widened my horizon as far as the way I think about things. Uh, and now judgment is, my judgment is so, I, how do I put this? I think I was a much more judgmental person as a younger person and you get older and you realize there's more than what meets the eye with pretty much every story, which actually makes me a better journalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's, there's always two sides and things don't always, aren't always as they appear. And unfortunately, when we talk about social media today, what we see, what just pops up on your screen is how it appears. And that's the story that you're getting without understanding that that woman who made that decision to be in a wet t-shirt contest was actually a woman who was on her deathbed a couple weeks before. And now what is she doing out there while she's expressing herself? It's between her and her husband, but that's not how it appears. Right. You know, so, so now I understand more that, you know, things are not always as they appear. And it's really important to get a little bit deeper into uh, stories and situations to know what led up to the situation. What is the person's story exactly? And I think that you're so right, because I always think of, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that I believed that or I, or I thought like that oh, as a teenager or, or, or a 20-something-year-old. And I, I always remind myself, when you know better, you do better. It's true. <laughs> Absolutely. The problem is, when you're young, you think you know better. And, That's true. And then, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, I look at young people, I'm a, I'm a online i'm a talent coach i teach people how to do tv news as well and i always laugh because um i listen to them and i see myself back there and i see myself thinking that i knew it all and um and listening to them and then knowing you know they'll it'll it'll all kind of they'll evolve it'll all come you know there's great things about getting older as much as there's nasty things about getting older but there's uh as far as our minds uh, i think it's a great thing but what's great is now is that we that there are people like you that others can reach out to when they're going through similar things you know because everybody thinks when you're younger that's not going to happen to me and it can happen to anybody. No one thinks it's going to happen to them. Right. And I make it very clear no one is immune, you know. And, of course, people are thinking, oh, come on, you, you what crazy night in Key West. That's not going to happen to me. But in my speaking events, I say, you know what? What do things look like with you when, oh, you have a meltdown on your kids in the grocery store? How does that look? How about when that road rage just gets the best of you? You know, it doesn't have to be something a wild young kid is making a mistake. It can be anybody. There was a story not long ago about a a female high-level executive for the state of New York, and she was on a flight, and she did not like that she was seated in the back of the plane and in the same row as a child. So she asked the flight attendant to move her, and the flight attendant couldn't accommodate her. So this woman had a rant. She stood up and had a tantrum. She she threatened the flight attendant's job. She put on a big scene. Of course, the whole thing's being recorded. And now, you know, the the video, it's posted and it goes viral. And so what happens? The woman, it becomes part of what I call your forever and for all to see. She's right. fired. And, you know, she can never go back. And it could happen to anybody. We're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. It's just that today, now more than ever, we need to understand that, you know, <laughs> anything we're, anything we do today could be attached to us forever and for all to see. There's so little room for that what was I thinking moment. 
You're absolutely so, right. Yeah. So that's where more, uh, uh, that's where I preach a new mindfulness and actionable steps on how to make sure that you are more mindful and actionable steps on how to survive if you should fall victim. Cause again, it is survivable. Me and my friends always talk about how we're so glad that there wasn't camera phones when we were in college. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of all this, all this, the, all the, and we didn't do anything, you know, like really, really stupid, but still, you know, some of my friends are teachers and stuff like that follows you. And you never think, of course, that it's going to. But my dad always says, um, he said something about cameras. And I said, Dad, I said, what? Now my dad is 80. I said, when I walk out of my house, I said, I assume that I am being recorded at any time, whether it is by, whether it's by the cameras in the stoplights, whether it is somebody's security camera. I said, if I Mm -hmm. walk outside of my house and pick my nose, somebody has it on camera. So it's so true. And I, I, you know, I address that as well. And it's, you know, here's the deal. Surveillance videos, surveillance cameras are necessary. We need them to track the bad guys. Right. Uh, But the reality is there's no regulation over them. So if, yeah, if if you're at a gas station and you're pumping gas and your skirt goes flying up like crazy or you're changing a tire and you're showing a little bit of moon behind you if it's caught on camera you're at the mercy of whoever is running that video camera Mm -hmm. and if they're looking for a social media gold moment which i talk about all the time you don't ever want to be someone else's which i was i was the world's basically social media gold moment before there was even social media it was just going from website to website but I got lots of websites, a lot of hits, but you don't ever want to be that. And so that's where you always need to understand that. Yeah. So no one saw it, but you just don't know that when you're outside of your own four walls. Right. Yes. It's and and you're right. It's always something that, you know, that, that we have to be mindful of. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you, looking back on everything that happened, do you think that if, that if it happened now that you would be treated differently with all of the women's movements and women's rights and things like that because that's a lot different now than it was 20 years ago well it is the problem is it's different as far as the social media that we have today mm-hmm. and so i i certainly applaud the the growing women's movements and activism. And, and I'm inspired and encouraged by them. And I believe myself actually to be part of it all as I use my own story to caution, inspire, and hopefully empower other women. Now, I did receive a lot of support during my situation as well. Women are there for women for the most part. Despite all that, though, if my scandal took place today, I believe the reper- repercussions would be much worse. I probably wouldn't have survived it. Mm-hmm. So today there's so much judgment and this is the problem. It's just ubiquitous. It, it seems bigger than any pro-woman activism, unfortunately. And the haters, for some reason, they are always louder than the supporters. At least it seems that way when you're on the receiving end, like I was. Plus the truth and the facts, they get spun, they get distorted, they get taken out of context in social media. And so I don't think any any movement, unfortunately, is big enough really to counter that. So it, it's really part of why, again, I'm on my mission to raise mm-hmm. awareness. I just don't think that there's any way we can counter it at this time. And everybody has real big balls behind a keyboard and they would never say anything to your face, but behind a keyboard, everybody feels like they can, you know, kind of say whatever they want. Right. And, and back during my situation, there were more, you know, uh, 
people use fake names and so forth. I, I'm yeah. sure it's still done a lot today, but uh, I was done. That was the beginning of, you know, being able to hide behind these fake mm-hmm. names. My situation actually was the next after Monica Lewinsky's. A lot of people associate me with the Monica Lewinsky situation that showed us how, you know, the online world could turn a real life world upside down in a virtual split second. So yeah, that's when everyone was hiding behind their, their fake names. And today a lot of them, their people just, use their uh-huh. whatever their facebook you know pages with their name out there and oftentimes with the people where they work their company and you know where they live and who their family is and they're still putting stuff out there and they're not thinking about the repercussions of what they could bring to other people's lives too and i, I just answered a an, a an article about uh so should employers be able to control what their employees put out online their comments Mm -hmm. so should they control freedom of speech and it's a big question right now uh so i guess my answer comes down to no one should control anybody else's freedom of speech but every employer has a right to have policy regarding what their employees put out there online and every employee has the right to say I don't like those rules. I'll go work somewhere else. And it's kind of how it has to be because just recently, one of my uh, coworkers in Cleveland, she, uh, someone went online and, and just blasted her appearance uh, on a Facebook comment, cruel, vile. Mm-hmm. And his name and where he worked was all right there in, in the post. Uh, and, can you imagine now this employer has to deal with it? Now it's the employer's problem. So I also talk about how, you know, what you put out there, it's no longer just about you either. It's about your family. It's about your workplace. It's about your school. You know, it's all a reflection on them, what you are putting out there. To, so to keep that in mind, that it can come back and haunt others, not just you. If you're saying some kind of a racist, horrible thing, understand it's not just going to be associated to you. Now your parents have to deal with it or right. your kids have to deal with it or your workplace. Again, that goes on and on. And if you're a small business owner, you own your yep. own business. I mean, that's going to come back at you. Yep. Which was exactly the case with this, with this recent situation. And mm. the, a few years ago, I interviewed a guy out of Pittsburgh. His name was George Justice. And that was kind of what him and his friend did. They created basically this group that if you said racist things online, they would let your employer know. Oh. And it wasn't about trying to silence people it was about hey lows this person who you know is calling people the n-word and saying hey let's run protesters over this person works for you are you okay Mm -hmm. with that right and And now all eyes are on the company what are you going to do right and and then the company's problem and then it goes back to what some people would call cancel culture yeah. And I actually just did a did, did an episode about cancel culture because I feel like, okay, like for me, th- there are certain businesses that I won't support for my own personal reasons. Am I going out and telling telling all my listeners, hey, you shouldn't eat at such and such a place because I don't agree with it? No, not really. But if I believe that their practices are unethical. Right. What I can do as a consumer is not support them. And that's fine. Now, I have canceled people and businesses for some of the stupidest reasons, like your commercial annoys me and I hear it every morning before (laughs) I go to work. 
And I talked about that. And, and listen, it is Belveda. I still have never bought any of their products because back in the early 2000s, their commercials were annoying. Am I going out and telling everybody? No, because it's a stupid reason. But I feel like, you know what? Your commercial annoyed me. So I'm, uh, so I'm not going to eat your stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? I mean, that's why we live in a free country and we can say and do things that we want. And that's very precious. It's just when it starts to encroach on others, then we need to start to think. Exactly. A little bit further. Yeah. And the thing is, we're just also uber connected. Right. You know, there, there's such a, a fine line between your personal life and your professional life. I don't even know if there really is a line because now, so I work for WOIO. I am a freelancer for them now. And so it, it, just like I worked for WKBN in Youngstown, Ohio, when I did what I did and it became part, it, it was in my personal time. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't, I didn't do anything illegal, but what I did, we became representative of them. What was a reflection on them? And it's because of this Uber connection that we have, especially more so every day as social media grows and, and our online and our digital world uh, evolves. And I also think when it comes to cancel culture, we also have to give people a chance to redeem themselves. Like there has been stuff that I've said that looking back on it, I'm like, that, that, that was really shitty. And I probably shouldn't have said that. And then you apologize for it and then you move on. And it's important to apologize. And it's important to, you know, I've apologized a million times for what I did. And people say, why did you apologize? You didn't hurt anybody. You didn't do anything bad. But I disappointed people. Yeah. And I disappointed myself. So that's where the apology comes from. And I hurt people. I hurt station. I hurt. Yeah. So there's an apology that's necessary. And I think that we need to. It's really important today to to fess up when you've done something that you realize is wrong or has hurt someone. It's really interesting to see how this whole uh, Academy Awards situation plays out. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's yeah, that's a whole different topic. But yeah, it's, I think it's always important. And I think when you are going through a social media scandal or moment, and maybe it's something you brought on yourself, two ways to handle it. Number one, apologize, fess up, take responsibility for it. And then just try to move on. Because what are you going to do? The haters can only, what can the haters do after that? Right. Which was my, my situation. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm terrible. It's so dumb of me. I can't believe I did it. And the hater, it kind of quieted the haters for a little bit. And, uh, or you could just completely ignore it and just hope that it fizzles out. But, and that's certainly an idea as well, because sometimes the more you say something about it to defend yourself, the, the worse you're just, you're adding fodder. You're, you're giving them fodder. Right. So, I remember yeah. when that all happened, I was working at Hot 101 in Youngstown. Oh. And um, the DJ that worked at the sister station, Y103, supposedly the pictures were sent to him. And that was how it all got started. And I remember thinking about it like, okay, she was with her husband. And so what? Yeah. Like, 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 like she wasn't was drinking and driving that. and, you know, swerved that. over and killed, you know, a, a, a family of 10, right. you know, and, yes. and I just remember going like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that it's that big of a deal yeah. for, you know, I mean, of course, that's me saying it, not being involved in the situation. And then I remember when I was working at Hot 101, um, I, I, I was a bit of a partier, you know, back then I was in my early 20s. And sure. <laughs> there was a picture 
that was on the Y103 website because they used to do like remotes and they did some in Newcastle. They did, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, bar nights and they always passed out glow sticks. And I had one in my mouth and my friend was joking around and she went and she grabbed it out of my mouth with her mouth. Uh And I got brought into... Uh, you know, into into the boss's office and I got sat down and how that could be a violation of, of uh, the morality clause. And I'm like, okay, well one, like we weren't kissing, but if we were like, is being gay against the morality clause? Like, is that such a big deal? Because when I got into radio, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be given a personality. I wanted my personality. I wanted it to be me. Sure. And a lot of times in radio, and, and I'm sure in TV as well, it's taken away from you because you you have to be, they want to mold um, you into what's going right. to sell. Yes. And then there's the idea that people in, in media, they uh, have a responsibility to be, you know, as role models. And that came at me a lot. Uh, you know, you're a role, you're a role model. And, you know, mm-hmm. what are these young women, you know, who watch you, what are they going to think? And it's like, yeah, I don't, so I don't know where I stand on that exactly. Are you a role model? Because you, you, when you chose this profession and there's certainly arguments for both, both ways on, on that. Uh, I guess I didn't, I didn't think about that as much then, you know, you, I was 1400 miles away from home. I don't, you know, you just, right. Well, and now, Yes, I take that responsibility seriously to put up a good front. You'll never see me with a picture taken with alcohol in my hand or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's I am uber, uber <laughs> uh, cautious. Yes. To where my, my friends are like, would you please have a good time? I'm like, I don't know if I ever will again, quite honestly. Oh, that's sad, but- though. Oh, it's it's OK. It's it's the reality. And, you know, and I'm never going to tell anybody don't, you know, don't have pictures taken with alcohol. Yeah. Don't go out and do a wet t-shirt contest. Don't, but I am going to say, but just you should know what the consequences could be. Right. Because I mean, everybody has their own definition of what a role model is. Like you can go out and have a good time and still be a good role model. You know, I know um, people that are teachers and that have kids that go out and they, you know, drink and they still come home and they, teach like they're supposed to and take care of their family like they're supposed to. Right. So I, so that it's it's a very big gray area. It is. Uh, One of the examples I use in my, my speaking events is this one woman, her name was Ashley. And this was actually became national news as well. And she was on vacation in Europe and she, she's was very, very careful about making sure all of her security settings were, uh, at the highest level on all of her social media, including Facebook, she only let a small circle of friends in, on her Facebook page. And she posted a picture of her double fisting it. She had beer in a big mug of beer in, a, in one hand and a glass of wine in the other and this big, great smile. And so she posted it. She posted on her uh, Facebook page thinking, you know, only her close friends can see it. And yeah. I always, that's a whole other section yeah. that there is no privacy, anything digital is, it's not, there's nothing, privacy does not exist when right. it comes to digital. And then she gets back to, to school and she gets called down to the principal's office and he shows her the picture and he's not in her Facebook group, She, but he has the picture. So what happened? Either she's got a frenemy in her group or her Facebook 
settings failed her of course we got screenshots today of course and he got the picture and she she lost her job oh my god for drinking for for drinking posting that picture with alcohol so she of course she she, you know she, she countered it she took it to court and she lost in court because her contract specifically says that she cannot do this kind of activity on social media, online at all, even if it's a private Facebook page. And that she was also violating uh, any activity in regard, or she's promoting alcohol use. So, so she, she lost her job. So, I mean, that's just how real it it is. And yeah, where do you draw the line between what is a role model, what's acceptable for certain professions, what's not? It's really, we really are navigating still very, very new territory, Mm -hmm. right? We really are. And a lot of the laws haven't even caught up yet. No, the laws absolutely have not caught up with our technology. No. I don't know if they will, quite honestly, uh-huh. which means that's why we have to take it upon ourselves to learn and in, in engage a new mindfulness on, on how we do everything right. in this day of digital everything. And I, I teach a Facebook class at a uh, local community college, and it's for people that are older. They're just trying to figure out, you know, kind of like how to navigate it. And sure. I and I tell them so they can tell their kids or their grandkids, like nothing is private. If you don't want if you don't want this to get out there, mm-hmm. don't put it out there. Don't put it out there. Because you it's even never that way know. with, you know, even if you take a picture on your cell phone and you don't send it anywhere, mm-hmm. understand that that picture is automatically being sent to whatever cloud right. you have and those clouds get hacked into. So if you're going to do it digital, understand it's it could be for the whole world to see forever and for all to see. I know we're going to have to start going back to Polaroids for anything that we want to keep private. <laughs> it's true. Yes. <laughs> and then stash those away pretty tightly. <laughs> So you have been with your husband for 20 years. Happy anniversary. I saw that you just celebrated your 20th yeah, anniversary. Thank you. So you guys, how long were you together before you got married? Uh, actually, not that long, maybe three years. Okay. So, years. so so, it was still kind of fresh when this whole scandal happened. Right. We were only married for, uh, we were there celebrating our one year anniversary. Oh my God. Happened right, so but it took from and that was in March. It took from March until the following December before it blew up. Okay, so we were had been married then for oh, going on two years at that point. And um, let me tell you, it puts a strain. You know, as much as I suffered and I came under attack, so did he right. for quote letting his wife do something like that. Letting that's yes, we're that's not why even... I married him because we don't let each other. We respect each other and we are partners no we, we watch out for each other for mm-hmm. sure but uh yeah so okay so we're gonna get off the topic of of that when did you did you always know that you wanted to be in journalism i did actually uh i it started when i was a kid uh i remember with my my parents they were big on on news so uh, I remember being fascinated by it because of their fascination by it. So they never missed news, even the new newscast. And this was back in the 70s. <laughs> and I remember my daddy came home from work for lunch and they sat down and they watched the news. And my brother and I were to be quiet. We got hushed. So I got a sense of the importance of news 
and I'd watch them and I'd listen to them discuss the stories and talk about the anchors as if they're their neighbors. Yeah. And so it had me asking a lot of questions, even as like a little girl, you know, who are these people? How do they know all this? What it's like to be on camera and have this responsibility. And by the time I was 12, I remember being at my grandmother's house and saying, watching the news and saying, I want to do this. And her saying, you can do it. And that was, a, that was all she wrote. Yeah. So I always wanted to do it. It's always been a part of my world. Do you, what do you think about the shift in journalism now with, they're not even called journalists anymore. They're called pundits because technically mm-hmm. they don't even really need to speak the truth. And there's a lawsuit out there now about, well, I'm not a journalist. I'm a pundit. So what I say doesn't have to be accurate. Oh, I'm going to have to look into that. That's interesting. You know, it, all of it is really disheartening um, where where the definition is with, with journalism. So, you know, what is real news is such a big question today. So many people think it does not exist. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, true, fair, informative, valuable journalism, it does still exist. And the problem is, yeah, so many other platforms that call themselves media or news outlets that are from far left and far right outlets to, of course, yeah, those obscure groups and people like you're talking about who just irresponsibly spew online. Right. It can get really confusing for the average news consumer. So that means those of us who do believe in traditional journalism, maybe with a few more bells and whistles than we used to have to tell stories, we have to work harder to maintain the values and the integrity expected in the business. Right. It's always expected. We need to know. Here's the big thing. We need to know our sources. We need to use sources. We need to vet our sources for credibility. We need to go out into the field, into the world to see for ourselves and feel for ourselves what's real. But most importantly, we need to keep our stories balanced for Pete's sake and use attribution. Unless the reporter sees something happen with their own eyes, everything else they're reporting on, it needs to be attributed to a source that makes true journalism. And for some reason, people are starting to think, yes, this opinion news is real news. And that makes other people think, if that's real news, then is this stuff that I'm watching and the networks, are they real news? And it, it's just throwing up so many flags and it, it, it it's very disheartening. And for us true journalists, and they're still out there, there are so many of us, it, it's, it's adds a lot of extra work to our job to prove that we are there for you. We are, you know, media has always been considered the, the fourth arm of, of the government, the watchdog right. group. Right. And it, it's still there. <laughs> it is still there. I went to school for journalism. So I love research and sources and vetting those sources. So anytime that something comes out and it, and it, and it seems like, especially now, it's all about the headline and how deceiving headlines can be to an actual story oh, yeah. and how they're, and, and how they're perceived. You know, I mm-hmm. feel like there's not as many, you know, Diane Sawyers or Tom Brokaw's it's, who actually get down to the facts and the actual stories. And that's got to make it so much harder for you. It does. And, and I do always say when I get these questions, you know, people, friends and family even saying, Oh, come on, it's not real news. Or, you know, how do we know what's real? How do we know? And I will tell you, I I believe in ABC, NBC, and CBS. Mm -hmm. I also believe that, yeah, maybe they all have a little bit of an agenda going too. Get it noted. So keep that in mind. But I believe, I believe you're going to get your truest journalism actually at the local level because I have to answer to a news director who is right there, who is watching everything I do. And when you mess up on a local level, now you're going to alienate 
advertisers and viewers. Nice. And it becomes so crucial. I mean, it's that way, of course, on the national level too, but on the local level, it's there's a little bit more room for micromanagement, I believe, mm. to make sure that everything is being done as it as it should be done. And I believe, and maybe I am naive because I know the stations that I work at. I know the stations though that my clients work at too. I'm an on-camera talent coach, as I mentioned before. So I I train people around the country how to do TV news, and I know that they are being watched closely. And that a news director's job on the local level is so precious, and they are watching, and and you got to answer to them, right. and you got to make sure. I always felt like if 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 I've got one political stance personally, I I'm not going to bring up a particular issue. I just can't do that. But if I so I believe I lean this one way personally on this issue. I make sure that if I'm reporting on it. I almost go a little bit to the other side to make sure that I am never called out for using my own thoughts and my own beliefs personally in my reporting. And I, I believe on a local level, that is really how it's mostly done. Again, I only know my stations. I only know the stations that my clients work for. And maybe I'm being naive, but I'm going to grab onto that belief because you have to. But you know what <laughs> you that is? To. That is journalism ethics 101. It is. It truly is. And I just feel like, you know, a lot of these people don't don't have those ethics anymore. So it's it, it, it's frustrating. It is. It is. It's it's frustrating the the perception that the public has. Of course. Uh, because all these other non-journalists and pundits as they call themselves yeah. are really breaking into the integrity of the of news altogether and you know we as journalists especially veterans we need to really work hard to instill in the the people who are coming next these these values and again as i coach people around the country i'm watching these kids not understand that you got to have both sides of the story not understand how important it is to attribute that you know that guy got shot on the street police say police say that guy got you got to attribute right it's not just you saying it mm -hmm. we're not saying it it's attribution and it's reporting what is the moment when you knew you made it <laughs> I feel like it was the first time I was on real TV, which is actually during my internship in Erie. You know, as I learned the ropes, my aspirations, they grew along the way. So with each step, I had many I made it moments. Uh -huh. uh, probably my most recent and my most real moment was when I started to anchor the morning show in, on uh, WOIO. And uh, we, you know, have these outdoor shots, this beautiful shot of downtown Cleveland with Terminal Tower all shiny and thinking, this is the big city. This is the city that I always wanted to work at. And look at this. I am sitting and I am part of this community and I am using my craft and my craft has gotten me here where I wanted to be since I was a little girl. So I suppose that would be probably back in 2006. <laughs> but yeah, you said you, you've had a lot. And I, and I know what you mean, because once you get that first job, you're like, oh, my goodness, I made it. And yeah. then you're like, okay, well, what's my next goal? And my next goal right. is this. And then you're like, oh my goodness, I made it. Yes. So, and so that ultimate goal would be Cleveland. You know, I was always sure kind of interested in national and network news, but I never, I never really had a big desire. I really, the local level, it, it it's just so much more personal and you become so much more part of it. Of course, I don't know. I never worked on that big level, but that's how I 
I believe it to be. And I like to be with my people. And so, you know, making it to the biggest city that I wanted to be in really, which was, was Cleveland. Eh, eh, that's when I guess I feel like I made it, made, I made yeah. it. And so grateful for, you know, that the Cleveland TV station to pull me back into the business and mm-hmm. giving me a, a chance to recover and prove, prove myself again. And, uh, and then I worked in Pittsburgh for a little bit this past fall. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been pretty awesome. Um, awesome. what was your favorite, what was your either most memorable or favorite story that you've covered? Uh, do you remember when those three young women who were held captive in Cleveland for years were finally rescued? Yes. Um, yeah. Gina DeJesus, Michelle Knight and Amanda Berry. Yes. Back in 2015. Now I wasn't in the field cause I, I wasn't a field reporter. But at that time, I was strictly an, an anchor, so I was on the desk, but we covered it for hours. So anchoring from the desk and, and being involved, engaging with the reporters and being part of that coverage is probably one of my most memorable moments. And wanting to be in tears and probably being in tears myself, um, though, when those moments hit you, you don't forget them, you know, about what was going on exactly with these 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 three women tears for how wonderful it is that they you know that they're finally free but also mm-hmm. tears for all that they went through i always talk about with, with my clients you're not a journalist until you can feel your story and it used to be the belief you know you got to separate yourself from the story don't get involved don't feel the story and i i will tell you if you don't feel the story there's no way you can tell the story so it, to a degree i mean you, you don't want your feelings to modify how you're reporting on the story but it gives you an idea of what's important if you yeah. can feel the story. And so when I felt that story, uh, that's, that was certainly a, a memorable moment for me. And then, uh, back in 2000, what is it? 2000, 1999, maybe 2000, a female researcher, a, a doctor, her name was Jerry Nielsen. She was stationed in the South pole for this big research project in Antarctica. And she realized she had breast cancer she discovered it while she was stationed there and they and it was progressing it was bad she was in a life-threatening situation actually and they couldn't get her out of there because it was so cold so she actually performed a biopsy surgery on herself in the station in in the south pole and she even gave herself chemotherapy uh, so I remember covering that story because her parents lived in, in Canfield, Ohio, in, in Youngstown, and I found them, and they trusted me, and they let me tell their part of the story, and reporters from all over the world were knocking on their door to get the story, and they shut everybody else out, and they gave me the story, and I'll I'll never forget that, and I'll never forget the responsibility of making sure that I told the story right. Right. Um, so, yeah. You gave me chills on both of those, on both of those stories. Those were, those were amazing. They were, they were. Um, Okay. So we're going to end it a little bit light. What is your guilty pleasure activity? (laughs) Okay. Well, my true guilty pleasure activity probably is a stinking Netflix, stinking (laughs) Netflix and the binging. (laughs) It's like brainwashing. I can't stop myself. Um, so my husband, yeah, we go to bed about the same time and then he's kind of tossing and turning and then he goes to sleep. I'm like, I'm going to sneak downstairs and two or three o'clock in the morning, <laughs> Netflix binge. So that's probably my guilty pleasure. And yeah. What's your favorite Other thing than, to watch? Um, 
I'm watching Heartland right now. <laughs> it's not real sexy or anything, but it always has a happy ending um, and it goes on forever. I mean, there's probably one to the thousands of episodes, <laughs> so it never quite ends, but it takes me kind of out of this world. But, oh, there were uh, Dead to Me was was uh, pretty pretty cool. Um, I yes, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I'm, I'm anxiously waiting for season three. Right, right. I've been through so many uh, sex life, sex life, I think. Uh, uh, there was one that I was, oh my gosh, I can't believe I had just, uh, anyway, yeah, Netflix is, and Prime Video, oh, um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, love that too. So, but aside from that, not so guilty pleasure, I get my pleasure out of working out, running, 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 running. That's my thing. And yeah, I'm going to try to sneak out today and do a little run. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much again for coming on. Do you want to tell everybody your social media and your website again? Oh, absolutely. Please. CatherineBosley.com. So easy enough. And, uh, you know, you can find me just type in Catherine Bosley on Facebook and, and Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And hey, I follow back. And I also am always glad to to respond. So I look forward to hearing from, from any of the viewers. And you can find my book on my website as well. Make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Martise M. And make sure you check me out on Hot 95 with the Hot Mess Morning Show from 6 to 10, Monday through Friday on Audilus.com and on the MyTuner app. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.